0: I apologize for taking your time. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Enjoy this episode. You are listening to Rabbi Arya Woolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist podcast. This may be also broadcast on the Jewish Inspiration podcast. We'll see. But I wanted to talk about the one-day-a-year Jew. This is a, a very common thing that I hear from many of our students, where they talk about being a Jew one day a year, and that they show up on Yom Kippur to synagogue. Or they're a three-day-a-year Jew, that they come Rosh Hashanah two days and one day on Yom Kippur. Or if even they're 52-day-a-year Jews, where they come only on Shabbos. I think that there's a flaw in the premise here in that you're a Jew every day of the year. You're a Jew every day of the year. The question is only whether or not you understand, whether you understand how much Hashem loves you. If you don't understand how much Hashem loves you, then you could be a a zero-day-a-year Jew, even if you attend synagogue. That means that means that someone can attend synagogue every single day and still be a zero-day-a-year Jew. Or someone can not attend synagogue 365 days a year, not show up even once, and be a 365-day-a-year Jew. It has nothing to do with your attendance to, to, to synagogue. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with your relationship with Hashem. I'll give you a story. My grandfather lived for nine years in Sweden, right after the Holocaust. And where he was in Sweden, there was not a minion. There wasn't a minion of Jews in his area where he was. Definitely not enough Jews to have a minion. And yet, it was, according to my grandfather, the greatest nine years of his life spiritually he had to learn every day he had to study torah every day he had to daven every day three times a day alone imagine nine years you're in a foreign land on your own you've lost everything you've ever had the world is in turmoil and what did he do he invested in his relationship with god Investing in our relationship with God, this is something which is so crucial, it is so essential for us at every moment of our lives to realize where do we stand in our relationship with God. It's not about the ceremony. By the way, the bris, people call the bris, oh, the bris ceremony. Bris is not a ceremony. Bris is a covenant. It's a covenant between us and Hashem. We have to recognize that. That a bar mitzvah is not a ceremony. A wedding is not a ceremony. These are things that build relationships. When someone becomes bar mitzvah, what are they doing? They're accepting upon themselves the yoke, the burden, the responsibility to follow Hashem's commands and to be in a relationship with God. With his checks and balances. In every relationship, that's the essence of the relationship, that there are checks and balances. You can't have a relationship, any relationship, that's only taking. I don't remember where I heard this, but I once heard a great marriage advice. He says, make sure that you make more deposits than withdrawals. In every relationship, you need to make more deposits than withdrawals. If you're only making withdrawals, eventually the account is empty and the person has nothing else to give. In every relationship, there has to be a give, there has to be a take. We have to learn to be bigger givers than takers. Like the Almighty. We say this all the time, that the relationship between a husband and a wife are a parallel or should be a parallel to the relationship of us and the Almighty. The Almighty is a constant giver, never stops giving. The Almighty's giving and giving and giving and giving. And at no point does God say, you know what, I gave you too much. So it's time to turn it off. Unless God wants our soul back. But God has an incredible love for each and every one of us. And I think that the biggest casualty of our generation is social media. I'll tell you why. Not because of the time waster, not because of the insanity that goes on there, but because of the likes. You know, you can click like and you can heart something. And the problem is, is that people are used to getting, are getting into a, a rhythm of instant gratification. I posted a picture and I got 50 likes, 100 likes, 500 likes, and look how popular I am. And it gives us validation based on those likes. And that's flawed. Because the people may not be liking it, the people may be jealous, the people may be angry, but they don't want to comment, they don't want to say anything, so they just click like. But it gives us a false sense of validation. But what do we get from the Almighty? The Almighty doesn't like. When I go to synagogue, do I get a click from God like? I'm looking for that click, I don't get it, so I don't have that satisfaction. So people feel like... Synagogue is not as meaningful as my TikTok. It's not as meaningful as my twi- as as my Twitter, my ex uh post, or my Facebook post, or my Instagram post. Because nobody liked it. Nobody's tapped me on the back and said, Hey, you're a you're a great Jew because you went to synagogue. Nobody says that. They should. It's far greater, and the Almighty has no need for our prayers. Hashem doesn't need our prayers. Hashem wants, Hashem desires our prayers. Hashem loves our prayers. Hashem doesn't sit there and cry and say, ah, I can't believe it, Bruce didn't pray to me today. What a guy, awful, awful human being. No, he doesn't say that. He says just the opposite. When he does come and pray, God loves it, desires it, he's like, ah. It is an amazing halacha. The halacha says that a person should always pray in a makom kavua, in a set place. When you're in synagogue, you should have sit in your seat. Sit in your seat. Or within eight feet of it, which is considered your domain. Why? Halacha says because God waits for you in your seat for your prayer. God waits for me. God's busy with the whole world. He's waiting for me. God loves our prayer. He desires our prayer. And therefore, he waits for us. He's excited. Ah, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk. We're going to communicate. And don't ever say, a person should never, ever, ever say, well, I talked to God and he didn't respond. If I only heard back from God, I would be more secure in our relationship. No, big mistake. God communicates with us all day. We just don't have our antennas up. Remember those radios? You had to put the antenna up, bring it to the window, put on a hanger, you know, try to move it around. Oh, if you're facing that direction, you'll be able to get the uh the FM radio or the AM radio, whatever it was. Today kids don't know what that means. Kids don't even know how to roll up a window today. They're like, "What's this? Where's the button?" I want to buy a car which only has roll-up windows. Just for that. So my kids learn how to turn the window. Not everything needs to be automated. Not everything needs to be, you know, on a silver platter for you. You can do some work. So what we what we're seeing here is that it's everything about Yom Kippur is about our relationship with Hashem. Where on Rosh Hashanah, we declare Hashem as king of the universe. And on Yom Kippur we say, "Uh uh-oh, I may have fallen short of my responsibilities, of my duties. What am I going to do now? And that's our responsibility on Yom Kippur is to come and say, Hashem, you know something? I might have messed up a little. I might have fallen short of my responsibilities. I might have served idolatry. Oh, Rabbi, you served idolatry? Well, what is idolatry? Idolatry doesn't mean going into a church or a mosque. Idolatry doesn't mean bowing down to a little idol. Idolatry means anything that gets in our way of serving Hashem. If we're more excited to get on our phone than to talk to God, we've got a little problem. If we're more excited to go to the comics, a friend of mine Passed away not long ago, but he was a massive collector of comics. Came to his house and he showed me he was so proud of all the comic books that he had. Oh, it didn't, every single one he had to have and he had to keep it in pristine mint condition. Perhaps a little idolatry? Or Harley Davidson, it's my favorite idolatry to talk about, of course. There's nobody who loves Harley Davidson. There are only people who are obsessed with Harley-Davidson. Those people who have the Harley-Davidson, they have the Harley-Davidson belt, and they have the Harley-Davidson tattoo, and they have the leather jacket, and they have the bumper sticker on their pickup truck, and everything in their life is about Harley-Davidson. They've got everything. Harley-Davidson. They eat, breathe, and dream about Harley-Davidson. That's idolatry. If someone's commitment, someone's devotion, by the way, there could be idolatry to fashion, and there could be idolatry to honor, idolatry to luxuries, idolatry to many, many different things. It's getting in your way. It's it's an amazing thing. In our Shema, what do we talk about? First words of the first paragraph is via hafta et Hashem elokecha, and you should love Hashem. Your God. How do you love something you've never seen? How do you love something you've never spoken to? How do you love something? First, how do you command an emotion? How can, I put a gun to your head and say, hey, Bruce, love me or else. Oh, oh, i love you, of course. That doesn't work. What do you mean? There's a commandment in the Torah that says you should love Hashem, your God. How does that work? How can God command an emotion? The answer is our sages tell us: If you looked into what God does for you, it's impossible not to love Hashem. It's impossible. You can't go through. Start appreciating. Start with the morning blessings. Modeh anil fanekai, thank you, Hashem. Melech a living, my living King. Shehechezarta binishmati, that you restored my soul within me. Bichem with mercy, with compassion. Rabbi Munatecha. Oh, how trustworthy you are. How faithful you are in this relationship. And you start thanking Hashem for your health, for your body, for your functioning body. You thank Hashem for your eyesight. You thank Hashem for your ability to stand upright. Anybody have a hard time? Anybody ever have back pain? Yeah. Do you know what a privilege it is to have a back that doesn't have pain? Anybody here ever have a headache? You know that feeling when you don't have a headache? Oh, wow, what a blessing. We don't appreciate it till we don't have it. But we don't wait to lose something to appreciate it. We don't wait till we lose it. Right away. Say thank you. You're able to stand up right in the morning. Thank you, Hashem, Zokeif, you're able to see, eyesight. The greatest gift in the world. Thank Hashem. Pokeh achivrim. You have clothes. malbisharumim. Each one of the gifts that we have, we don't take them for granted. And we say thank you. We say thank you Hashem. Thank you Hashem for every single gift. Matira surim. It's an unbelievable gift. Every single day of life, we can feel the greatest enrichment on earth if we only learn to say thank you. And we love Hashem. If we thank Hashem for all of the good that that He gives us, and we never ever take it for granted, because the minute you take it for granted, you're a miserable person. Miserable. I saw a video someone sent me of a high school girl. This high school girl was throwing a fit that one of her $2,000 MacBooks wasn't working properly. She had six of them on the bed and she was doing a GoFundMe so that she could buy one more because one is for Instagram and one is for this and one is for that and one is for this bawling, crying like a crazy person. Someone who doesn't appreciate is miserable. Everything taken for granted, not appreciating, terrible way to live life. Rosh Hashanah gives us an opportunity to put things into perspective. Yom Kippur is when the rubber hits the road. We say, you know what, God... I'm not only putting things into perspective, I'm putting it into action. The process of repentance. Vidui, confession. Harata, regret. Aziva sachet, you leave your sin. And then Kabbalah, as and accept for the future. These four steps are crucial. Number one, you have to own up. You made a mistake. Number two is we have to have regret. I confess I made a mistake. I have regret. It feels terrible. Betraying a relationship. I have to leave the sin. I can't keep on holding the non-kosher burger in my hand and munch on it while I'm saying, God, I'm sorry for eating non-kosher. It doesn't, right? You got to stop doing it. And number three is accept for the future, verbally accept. This is the process, the process of taking action, not just talking words, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk and showing on Yom Kippur that we're putting it into action. So I wanted to learn today's our thinking Talmudist class. I wanted to talk a little bit about what the Talmud says. On this topic, because we all know every person. I've heard many times people say, "Well, God really doesn't care about me. God doesn't even know I exist. God doesn't love me." I've I've heard these phrases so many times from people. People have no idea how much Hashem loves us, and if we only had a clue. Like I said earlier, we'd be dancing on the rooftops we'd be the the wealthiest person on earth as a person who has a relationship with God. You don't have to have a penny in the bank. You can be the happiest person on earth. We've been trained our whole lives that happiness comes from money. Success is money. Oh, very successful. Oh, so successful. How are his relationships? How are his relationships with his spouse, with his parents, with his children? That's success. Money? I have all the money in the world to make a difference. Can't get along with people? No. Not appropriate. You know, Steve Jobs did a lot of great things in his life. But do you call that success? The way he talked to people, the way he berated people, the way he insulted people, he had a a great goal. The goal was to create the greatest product in the world, to create the iPhone, to create the iPod, the iPad, all of those incredible pieces of technology. But on the expense of how many people's feelings, how many relationships, how many of his children didn't get to see him every day or maybe every week or every year because of this unbelievable goal and mission that he had. Is that a sign of success? Is that what we call success? I think it's each and every one of us. We all have choices. And those choices define our values. And if we put our values in the right place, we're the greatest. We're putting all of our priorities, and that's what we try to do with our prayer every day. Put the priorities in the right place. Recognize. You know, we say, just one verse from our liturgy, from our morning prayer. It's a verse from Psalms, Psalms 150. Amazing. Call hanishama tehalil ka halleluka Let all souls pray Hashem. Hallelujah. Let all souls pray, praise Hashem. Hallelujah. Call Haneshama. What does the Gemara say about this? Not all souls. Every breath of your soul should say thank you, Hashem. You take a breath, you inhale, you exhale. That breath right there should be a thank you, Hashem. Inhale, exhale. You can do that. I'll call neshima uneshima on every single breath. That determines our values. That defines who we are. I guarantee you that someone who gives thanks for every breath that they have doesn't feel sad even one moment of their life. Because it's filled with gratitude. It's filled with, wow, I'm the luckiest person on earth. Look how awesome my life is. God gave me a breath. Because you know the difference between having a breath and not having a breath? Like that. Boom. Suddenly, no more. God turns power off. Done. But we love life. We don't want life to be cut short. We love our life. We love our life, but we can elevate it to a whole new level with our appreciation. So my dear friends, I want to show you this amazing, amazing piece of Talmud on 16B in Tractate Rosh Hashanah. Talmud says as follows. Amr Rabbi Yochanan. Sorry. Amr Rav Kruz Peda'i, Amr Rabbi Yochanan. Rav Kruz said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Shlosh HaSfarim Niftachin Berosh Hashanah. Three books are opened on Rosh Hashanah. Echad shel Rosh Hashanah, one of the completely wicked. V'echad shel Tzadikim Gmurim, and one book of the completely righteous. V'echad shel Benonim, and one of intermediate people. Tzadikim Gmurim, Nekhtavim V'Nekhtamim L'alter L'chaim The completely righteous are written and sealed immediately for life. Rishayim gemurim, the completely wicked, are written and sealed immediately for death. Beinonim tluim veomdim Rosh Hashanah veAd Yom Kippurim, the intermediate people are held in abeyance from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. Zachun If they merit it, they are written for life, and if they do not merit it, then God forbid they are written for death. So you're telling me this whole thing, Rabbi, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, 10 days of repentance, is only if we're in the middle. But if we're completely righteous, we're done with Rosh Hashanah. Taken care of, done. Signed, sealed, mailed, done. If we're wicked, signed and sealed and mailed already on Rosh Hashanah. But if we're in the middle, then we have this 10-day trial. Let's see how you're doing. And by Rosh Hashanah, by Yom Kippur, that gets sealed. So how does this make sense? You're telling me that every wicked person is signed for death? What does that mean? What does that mean? We don't see people dropping after Rosh Hashanah, plop, dead, plop, dead, that's it. Wicked people, dead. Righteous people, life. We see plenty of righteous people who die. We see plenty of wicked people who live. So what's a better question that needs to be asked? What's righteous and what's wicked? What is righteous and what is wicked? My dear friends, righteous does not mean what we think it means. Righteous. And wicked has to do with our connection with God. We talk all the time about mitzvahs being conduits or connectors between us and the Almighty. And sins, averas, are blockades that we put between us and God. We're creating barriers between us and God. The righteous are always trying to remove the barriers and make the connection available between us and God. What do the wicked do? They put barriers in between them and God. They're like, God, just don't pay attention to me. I'm going to put more barriers here. Just don't pay attention to me. So I think perhaps, and I've seen this written, that we sign our own decree for life and death. Life, are we going to live a life that's enriched or are we going to live a life that is devoid of connection? That's life and death. Life is a life that's enriched, that feels, you feel this connection, you feel this unbelievable bond with the Almighty. Versus a life of disconnect. I just don't want to communicate with you anymore. I want to create as many barriers as possible between me and you. But then you have the people who are in between, which our sages tell us is the majority of people. And it's like you have this 80% are the average, then you have 10% all righteous, 10% all wicked. So let's hope that we're all in that 80 bunch or maybe even in the righteous bunch. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do to get into the side of life that we know that when that scale is at 50-50, what do I need to do to bend it down so that I get the, the hope of being on the righteous side? One good deed one good deed imagine that one day a year Jew goes to synagogue and says God you know something they have a moment of inspiration A mo- one single moment of inspiration was worth everything it was worth everything to go to synagogue on Yom Kippur and spark that light. Ignite that passion. You know what? Let's say that passion gets extinguished as soon as you leave the synagogue. It was still worth it. And the Almighty loves that. Because you're here, I see you're alive in this relationship. It's not dormant. You're not sleeping through it. I had once a group of students buy me for Sukkot So Sukkot is the next holiday, next week already is Sukkot. So I had these students around my in my Sukkah, and we were talking about what's your hope, what's your dream for this coming year? What do you want to accomplish? It's a brand new year. God gives us another lease on life. What do you want to accomplish? What do you plan to come to God with next year on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur? And one of the students said, guy said many nice, great things many of the students. One of these college students said, next year, Yom Kippur, I'm checked out. Why? He says, well, UT is going to be playing football on Yom Kippur. You think I'm going to be going to synagogue? I'm going to be going to a football game. Okay, a little question of perhaps values. Perhaps not having the right perspective of what the purpose of life is. Entertainment has become Bible, It become religion, has become a religion. So I got prayer and I have the game. Which one do I do? Talk to God or play the game? Well, which one satisfies which? Praying will satisfy both, you and God. Watching the game will only satisfy you, which in general is just an anomaly. I don't understand it. I don't understand, I love sports by the way, but I don't understand the attraction that people have to sports. It makes you a better person because he, the Houston Astros won the World Series. Like nothing changed in you. You have a sense of pride for what? For your city? What's the sense of pride that one feels when their team wins? What did you do? You're just watching at home. I don't understand it. Going and cheering and yeah, yeah, go, go, go. What? What's that going to help now? Nothing changed. You're still you. You still have your same problems, but what happens? It distracts us from our problems. It's a a way for us to turn off my problems for three, four hours, watch the game, and then, see, when I watch the game, I have no problems. It distracts me from all my issues. So I think that's one of the reasons people love it so much. Gives them a sense of belonging. Hopefully, if their team wins, it gives them a sense of victory. But it's just an interesting thing of this whole entertainment industry has become like a religion where people like, they can't miss that game. What takes precedence? God? Our relationship with our creator? Or my own joy, my own things? And the truth is, is that a a great prayer does so much better than anything else you can possibly imagine. Now, prayer doesn't have to be in a synagogue either, by the way. Prayer does not need to be in a synagogue. Prayer doesn't need to have a minion. Prayer doesn't need to be with a cantor. It doesn't have to be with a song. It has to be with an open heart. You can go into the field. You can go to the forest and just talk to Hashem. You can be sitting at your, on your couch and talking to Hashem. You can be sitting online at the bank waiting at a red light and talking to God. And thank you, God. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me a car, four wheels. I don't have to be in a humid Houston with a horse and buggy. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me such incredible comforts thank you you can just say this every time you're in your car you're able to turn on your car anybody have a car you put the key in to the ignition you try to turn it and it goes tick, 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 tick. like ah oh, nah no. what am i going to do now call AAA or call Haverim to come and boost your car now what finally you get it fixed it was a spark plug it was a this or that whatever it was your battery And then you put that key into the ignition again and you turn it and it it starts. Ah, sounds like music, music to our ears. That joy that we have at that moment should be every time. Not only when it didn't work and now it's working, always. We should always be feeling that sense of gratitude and appreciation. To should be a constant. But this comes with doing something special. Doing something special. We talk about the middle class. You have the elites, the righteous. You have the poor, the unrighteous. But then you have the middle class. And that middle class, our sages tell us, is the majority of us. One mitzvah that we can put on that scale. Can tip it. One mitzvah. Call a friend, wish them a shana tova. Visit someone who's sick. Give charity. Do something to show that you're not there for yourself, you're there for someone else. Be godlike. Give. That selflessness is bringing godliness into this world. That selflessness is showing I'm like God, a giver, not a taker. I'm a big fan of not not ever doing a tit for tat. Oh, after school, my child had a play date with your child, so now you owe me one, so now they'll go to your house to have a play date. common thing, I picked up your child from carpool, now you pick up my child from carpool, you owe me one. I told my wife, I said, I don't want to ever, ever even keep an account or a a thought. I'll do it a hundred times for my neighbor not ask them even once. Because you don't do acts of kindness for an act of return. There's a book that someone introduced me to. I don't want to mention the name of the book. The book is about how to make friends and keep friends for life. Basically, the entire book is build up credit by people so that when you need them, you can pull your credit. Ah, oh, So you have lunch with them and you treat them to lunch. So now they owe you. So you always keep yourself in a- a- availability of people's favors back in return. That's not the Torah way. That's not the Torah way. The Torah way is I'll give you a thousand lunches and I don't want one in return. That's not, we don't give so that we can get. We give to be God-like. God is a constant giver. What can we give to God? Can we give God a a bar of chocolate? Give God a nice bottle of wine. A nice bottle of wine. Respectable bottle of wine to God. No, it's nothing. You can't give God anything. He doesn't need your vacation. He doesn't need your, your, uh, certificate, gift certificate to, uh, Staples or Target or Amazon. God doesn't need anything from us. So what do we have to give to God? God gives and gives and gives and gives. What does he get in return? Nothing. God doesn't want anything in return. All God desires is a relationship. What does that take? Even if it's a a one-day-a-year Jew, I only show up once a year. God in heaven loves us so much, he smiles and says, ah, look at my children. They're coming. They have other things to do on Yom Kippur. They close their offices. They close their, their businesses. And they come and they talk to me. Our job on Yom Kippur is to make it real. We talk the talk on Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, God, you're the king of the universe. But now is time to walk the walk. Hashem should bless us all. That we should merit. This Yom Kippur should be a, a Yom Kippur of atonement, of forgiveness, of connection with God like never before. And that we should become the real people who walk the walk. Not only the people who say, Hashem, I'm sorry, but this is life. That's the way it is. I'm just going to be who I am. Neglect that relationship. It's much better to be on the side of God. I'm here and dedicated to our relationship. And we talk to Hashem. We close our eyes and open our hearts. You don't need to have a prayer book. Talk to Hashem. Connect. Seek Him out. The only thing King David asks for, The only thing that I consider good in my life, says King David, is a closeness with God. The only thing I want, Let me reside in God's house. What's God's house? House of prayer, house of Torah study, like a torch center. To be in a place of inspiration, to be in a place of closeness with Hashem. It's much easier to connect to God in a place of holiness than standing online at the bank. It's still possible, but it's much more conducive to growth and elevation when you're in a place where there's an atmosphere of growth, when there's an atmosphere of elevation, of goodness, of kindness. Hashem should bless us all that this should be the most meaningful Yom Kippur we've ever had, and God willing, we'll all be blessed, not only to be written in the Book of Life, but to be sealed in the Book of Life. In the Book of the Extremely Righteous, That we're signed off, signed and sealed. Goodbye. You're gonna have a great year ahead. And if we're in the middle class, then we should make sure we do some more merits, do some more good deeds. We have still 72 hours till Yom Kippur. As we say in Yiddish, Chaparain. Grab the opportunity. Grab the opportunity. We still have time till Yom Kippur to make it the real deal. Hashem should bless us all. Yom Kippur should be amazing. Forget about the fast. Don't worry about the fast. You'll fast, it's fine. I don't see malnourished Americans. Don't be worried about the fast. It's not about the food. It's about getting rid of all the blockades. Food can inhibit us. Our dress code can inhibit us. Our, you know, all of the other things that are forbidden on Yom Kippur can be blockades. Yom Kippur, it's just direct, just the inside, just the soul talking to Hashem. My dear friends, have an amazing Yom Kippur.